Don't be wasting any time, I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind, yeah, you know me. All the crowd will Payback Time is a podcast that dives into the real story behind the person. How did they build their business? What challenges did they overcome? What mistakes did they make? And how did they achieve their goals? The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's payback time. A good business partner can help a business thrive, but a bad business partner can cause a business to struggle and eventually fail. My next guest shares her story of first partnering with the wrong people. She shares some of the red flags to pay attention to when considering a partnership, which will help you avoid future headaches in your entrepreneurial journey. She also talks about the importance of getting out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself to learn more. Similar to compound interest, this type of philosophy will pay off big in the future. Please welcome Kat Meningo. Kat, welcome to the show. So thrilled to be here. Really honored to share time. Great. I'm excited to hear your story. So if you could go ahead, take it away. Give us your career backstory. Yeah. So this is, um, I would like to think that mine is probably one of the more unique that's been on this show. I think just because it's been a more meandering um, story to, to get to where I am. I think in a nutshell, my story is that uh, from a young age, I was, I was really hung up on, on the idea of meaning making um, in the course of a human life. And I was really obsessed with the, a bit darkly so, um, with this fear of how, you know, even, even people who leave long, robust family legacies, like, you know, once we pass 30, 40 years on, like your name is essentially forgotten to mm-hmm. history entirely. And so, for some reason, that I, was a, I was a rather pessimistic child. I was like, well, then what's the point of doing anything? <laughs> why do we do, why do we strive? So why do we work so hard? Why do we tolerate so much unhappiness for, sure. for this? And um, the way that I eventually resolved that in, in very young adulthood going into college was um, that one of the things that can really matter on the scale of a human life, the time scale of a human life is, is helping other people and having that be a, a core driving focus to your life. And so um, in college, I pursued um, humanitarian assistance studies. So working with non-governmental organizations and and charities and trying to find a lot of community-based solutions to, um, because I'm Filipino also. And so I'd I'd traveled, Mm -hmm. I'd I'd had the privilege of, of traveling a good amount when I was younger to parts of Southeast Asia and the Philippines and just seeing you know, how differently capital is dispersed in the world, right? And that there are some incredibly hardworking kind people that um, just don't have access to the same opportunities through no fault of their own. And so I pursued education and how to find bottom-up community-oriented solutions for people in poverty, specifically around uh, motherhood health initiatives and and, um, bumping up retention in, in education in communities. And so... That took me on a pretty interesting couple chapters of my life where I was lucky to be fairly successful in my studies. And, and um, I guess unbeknownst to me at the time, I, I started to sharpen my, my networking skills and, and through some serendipitous relationships. Before I even graduated, I, I managed to land some really great working in the field opportunities that took me to do NGO and charity work in um, first Colombia and then Nicaragua and wow. then the Philippines and then Thailand. But I burned out basically after 
a little over a year working in that field. I think because I started young also, I was, I was supposed to graduate uh, when I was 19. And um, I just didn't have the emotional toolbox at the time to deal with the fact that my efforts alone, and you sort of agree to that when you go into, you know, international development, humanitarian assistance, you know that you're not going to be the single person to save the world, but it's still important to to do sure. the, the, the work anyway. But despite that, I still just didn't have enough balance to hold all of the enormity of what I was seeing day in and day out. Because my, my last um, contract was with uh, Goodwill Thailand in, in Bangkok. And, and so it's a sex trafficking and rescue organization. Wow. And I just, I cried every single day that I was there for almost two months. And, and I was like, I, I can't continue this work anymore. I have to leave prematurely. Um, and so I came back very shaken by my sudden lack of a map. <laughs> mm. So basically the, the way that my journey in a nutshell goes is humanitarian assistance worker to what I would become is the famous bartender to now um, press and marketing and personal branding sure. expert, <laughs> I guess you could say. So, um, so I came back from Thailand and was, I just felt utterly very bereaved, very lost. And what began initially as just a, a short sojourn into just taking time to figure out the next thing I I lucked into, and I was deeply introverted at the time, deeply, deeply introverted. I was the kind of person where if you took me to a party um, and you were like, please make some friends, I would just feel like, ah, how, <laughs> how do we talk, do this? How talk people? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I was fortunate to, uh, you know, I was so desperate to to find a job that wasn't, I, I had an interim job as like a transcriptionist that I loathed. Mm. And uh, I was like, I'll do anything to not do this. So I had the good fortune of opening up one of the very first uh, craft beer bars in my city. And it was a very neighborhood bar situation. And I was extremely shy when I started, but uh, I found out quickly that um, it, for one thing, it was something that I could get very naturally nerdy about. And mm -hmm. I found out that kind of in the bartending industry, there were these un unknown to me um, depths to it. And that if there's anything that you could get nerdy about, there are depths to meet you and people that are just as interested to be a part of that as you are, um, if you're tr truly, sincerely passionate about something. And that kind of really changed my entire trajectory and personality, because once I found out that I could talk to pretty much anybody, as long as there was some kind of common ground, common interest to, mm -hmm. to break some of that initial friction, I got very skilled at just engaging in strangers and, and creating these spaces of emotional comfort or safety and so that chapter would last nine years. And in wow. that time, I opened a number of successful um, hospitality concepts. I consulted on um, some really fantastic things, both inside and outside of my city and some major markets even. Um, because for reference, I, I live in, in Gainesville, Florida, which is a, a small college town. And so I had a, a really wonderful time having a hand in some really um, some spaces that that people would then come to fill in with their own personal experiences, like places that you bring your family to celebrate graduation, places that, you know, college kids would like come to associate as like, this is my bar, this is my place, this is where me and my friends gather to, you know, let off steam and, and things like that. And I think a lot of that community building 
um, one-on-one relationship reps uh, really helped position me for success in where I am now, which is, um, you know, relationship building, like profitable networks and, and also in sales. And so I eventually exited that because of um, feeling deeply passionate about it for a long time, but then never really quite having my paycheck match how much labor I was giving up to other people, essentially. And Was that um, with a brewery or what what business was that? um, So it was both for consulting and then also I when I finally had a chance at equity in my own business, um, Mm -hmm. because for years it was obviously working as a manager or head bartender for somebody else. When I finally had a chance at equity in my own business, um, I committed the, a fairly probably young, naive, common mistake of trusting someone's word that um, sweat equity would eventually equal equity on paper. Mm. And I learned the important lesson of really knowing the quality of the people that you go into business with. Um, Because that that also informed my exit was essentially that um, I got into business with somebody that I'd had a working relationship for for a very long time. And we had both very much helped each other's personal brand out and um, in reach. And and we'd both appeared in in very, very cool uh, magazine features together. You know, we international news had written about us. We'd we'd gotten the, the option to be flown out by brands internationally because of the work that we did together. But there were character red flags that I kind of ignored the whole time because of just chalking it up to cultural differences and and whatnot. And um, yeah, I I hit a burnout point, I think, right before I left the hospitality industry of that I had had this bar for three years. And for probably the majority of that time, I was working, you know, anywhere from 50 to 80 hour weeks regularly. Wow. And um, not only did my, you know, sweat equity, you know, every time we broached the conversation of being an actual partner that benefited from the revenue that I was personally generating for this business, it was always like, a, uh, oh, I just think that you're not, you know, I think I still think you're a little young. I still think that you have things that you can learn. And um, it just got to a point where there was there was a strong mismatch in in the amount of that I felt in terms of the work that I was producing and being restored for that effort that Mm -hmm. I was giving. Um, Because you can give 110% of yourself for, you know, a good amount of time if there's a commensurate amount of restoration for that output. Um, And just for years, there just hadn't been, it had been, it had been far below that. And so, um, you know, I think, uh, and this will be something that I return to maybe in a, in a little bit, but, I think that basically I wish that I had bet on myself sooner. That sure. was the the kind of big lesson that I took took away from that is that I had achieved certain things in terms of business growth for other people that I barely recognized because I didn't have, um, I guess, strong enough self-concept or faith in myself or the work that I was producing to, to see mm-hmm. that, you know, on balance sheets, like I was responsible for some really incredible business growth year over year for for many projects that I had a hand in. And I think that once I even began to glimpse that, I realized, oh, I can really, I should really do something for myself. And uh, totally. having this line of dialogue happen just before COVID hit. And so, you know, I'd had a number of sort of side projects that had 
kind of come up organically because of my um, my work in in building up uh, bar and restaurant programs and brands that I, you know, I'd, I'd done some design things, I'd done some press things, I'd done, you know, media relations and, and super connecting. Uh, but I'd never really understood how to package all of that, or I'd, I'd never had to package all of that into like one concise kind of thing that I was doing. Sure. But when COVID hit, and I was like, well, what do I do now? I have all this time to think about what the next step is going to look like. Um, yeah, I started out with my own marketing agency, First, it was uh, running Facebook ads for real estate agents, um, and I got very fortunate. And this is this is a theme that w- that would go on to sort of recur. Um, I got very lucky in finding a, a partner in that space that had a service offering that essentially complemented mine, which was um, like a remote team. Uh, to help real estate agents kind of get organized and essentially sure. a, a remote pod of VAs that could help you, but that were very specifically trained in real estate to help you with keeping your business organized. Because, you know, I think that small business owners have two sort of main pain points, um, especially if, you, if, if you're kind of like a tradesperson in mm-hmm. your, you know, the way that you approach your work. Um, you know how to do something, but that doesn't necessarily know that you know how to generate traffic or an audience, which is what I was doing or that you are organized in your business and that you have systems and SOPs and know how to scale, which was sure. um, what, where my, my, uh, my partner at the time came in. And yeah, I got very lucky in that in our first three months of doing business together um, and in my first online venture at all, we did almost 200,000 in new revenue in just our, in just, actually, I guess it was the first four months. It, was, it took us probably a month or two to, to get aligned properly and for me to really understand some of the mechanics of what I was sure. doing. But after that, it was like explosive growth, um, which also stress tested, uh, you know, it gave me lessons in, in terms of scaling and, and how to, how to, mm-hmm. how to properly systemize things. And um, also was a lesson in, also knowing who you're doing business with, because that would be another recurring issue of, um, uh, yeah, I started to gradually feel some misalignment with, with that, with that person and, and how they, because their, their service offering was essentially other people's labor. When I realized some ways that they were compensating, uh, when I saw how much money was coming into our business and how much was being paid to the people who are literally providing, you know, their hours of labor day in, day in and day out for our clients. Um, Mm -hmm. I ended up dissolving that partnership. um, And then also who that person worked with that coordinated the uh, virtual assistant labor also left at the same time. So it was a very karmic moment perhaps, but sure. So then I, um, you know, having just yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, because yeah. there's a lot of I've been taking notes here yeah. and a few things I want to unpack. Sure. So this is a marketing agency you dissolved that did 200K in four months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And That's, then like six or seven months in when we hit half a million, <laughs> basically, I was like, I can't uh, I can't I can't do this when I know that you're paying entire Filipino families like hundred dollars a week. If that you got to be kidding me. Yeah. You got to be kidding. Me. Okay. And I, had, I just had no idea, you know, until I started yep. to, until there were certain things that caused me to interact with the person who coordinated the labor. Sure. And then, um, and I was being told a very rosy account by one person. And then when I actually checked this, it was sure. very different and being Filipino, 
um, I was mortified. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Mortified. And so good for yes. you. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like, there's a common denominator here of partners and red yeah. flags in partners. And I yeah. think we can teach the audience yeah. here. Oh yeah. Lessons. So let's go back in time a yes, little bit absolutely. here too. Absolutely. Um, it was the business. Was it, was this a bar? Was it a restaurant? You said there are some red flags, some character yeah. red flags with the partner. Yes. Yeah. What was the business? And then what were those character flaws? The the business was a high-end cocktail bar, um, okay. on a, a small intimate cocktail lounge with a kind of high-end tropical escapist theme that hadn't really been seen in, in a rather divey college mm. bar market. Okay. Um, and the red flags were, um, and I like to think that some public tone around this is shifting, but, um, Something that I maybe should have seen immediately is that this person, as a personality trait, just loved being mean, just as, you know, and like their humor always centered around cutting other people down or um, insults. And, and, and it was always couched in, in a joking manner, uh, but it was so repetitive and consistent that uh, and, and other people would always you know, talk about the, the influence of sometimes, you know, third-party opinions. I, I, mm -hmm. I think I just went along with it because everyone was like, oh, well, that's just how so-and-so is. Like, they're just kind of, they're right. just kind of a lovable asshole. But as time went on, it was like, well, what exactly is lovable about this person that, that routinely doesn't support mm -hmm. their staff, disempowers their staff, disempowers the people that are literally making money for them and managing their business for them. Um, because that was sort of another red flag is that um, we went in as partners, we had two investors, and then we were kind of the operating people. And um, there were both as sweat equity partners, um, him uh, a smaller percentage than what I was originally. I mean, rather, he had an investment, but also a, a component that was sweat equity and, uh, you know, X amount of labor requirements that he had to fulfill as sure. a responsibility to the investors. And increasingly, because I, I think, gave so much, um, and, I, and I really don't mean that in a very self-martyring way, I, I just mean that factually, like, because I was just doing so much work that I was happy to do to support the vision of what we were building and to support the incredible team that we'd been really lucky to acquire and assemble, um, they just kind of started slacking. And very mm -hmm. quickly, very quickly. I mean, like, opening opening a bar or restaurant for the first several months is, um, I... I understand what this sounds like, but I really do believe that it is a bit like this. To me, it is not unlike the first couple months of maybe not infanthood, but maybe toddlerdom. It's not unlike raising a child where you're just, there's so many things that are that are on your plate For 24 sure. hours a day that need tending to. And so many ex unexpected things that happen that you just have to quickly address and then mm -hmm. ideally build systems to consistently um, uh, address, but it's not always so simple. And so once we got through that initial very, very, very time and labor intense period, um, there was just a lot of lack of accountability and labor on his part in terms of contributing to his own business. And I think mm. that was a, a big red flag was um, character in terms of um, yep. how he speaks of and supports or doesn't support others and commitment to your own vision and business. Sure. Yeah. 
and, and accountability. No, yeah. that that's good to know. I gotta I gotta touch on something, and this is probably something listeners run into is sweat equity. Like putting in time to get equity in a business is always a gray area. It mm-hmm. is it is so hard to define. Okay, if you put an X amount of hours then you'll earn this much equity in the business. It is always messy. Almost mm-hmm. 99% of the yeah. time, I will say, based on my experience, yeah. and I found you can have good intentions, but if this person, is, this yeah. person, and in most cases, the business or the person coming to the table with the business in the first place, in most cases, they are naive. They don't yes. get how businesses should be run yes. or how you allocate yes. equity. Yes. So you're dealing with a losing situation from yes. the the start. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anybody listening that is getting into a sweat, just, just really understand, try to look at the past history of this person's business success or failures. Mm-hmm. They don't have any big home runs. They mm-hmm. don't have any experience mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like structuring businesses this way and making them yes. take off. You're yes. running into a losing battle. Yeah. Yes. I am delighted that you shared that. And it is so valuable for your listeners that you were able yeah. to distill it that way because that was exactly, you know, because I was I was 23 at the time that we made this this agreement. <laughs> sure. I guess actually at the time I think I was when we actually went into business together, I was 25, but I did not know enough to realize that this person had never been financially responsible in a major way where their own money was at stake or what have you, or were they, or in a situation where they couldn't pass the buck to somebody else in terms of um, blaming or taking credit for a financial performance of the business. And so I love that you, that you specifically Mm -hmm. illuminated like that because yes. And it was absolutely one of those things where it was a gray area. And um, I think even if this person had been, you know, more morally sound than they actually were, uh, there was still the issue of like, I'm not sure that they would have understood how to structure appropriately, like a, an actual, and that was a mistake on my part, not asking for some kind of like formal agreement, even if it's like, right. this is to be signed when X things are met, that there was nothing, that it was pure trust of word that, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then operating agreements, people. Operating yeah, agreements. It, yeah. And then you get into <laughs> it, you know, if you're a profit sharing situation, mm-hmm. then you take profits when there are profits. If you're mm-hmm. owner, then you carry the weight of, mm-hmm. of debts and liabilities of the business. Mm-hmm. So that's the other side of risk right there. Yeah. So there's so many different ways you can partner it, but really understanding the types of partnerships and what you move forward with is you know, it's good to work with people who have done this before, mm-hmm. you know, and they've grown businesses this way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock market? You either listened to someone you know, heard a comment on the news, or tried to follow a trend. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Most people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that handled that logic for you? Introducing Ticker, a platform that helps you reduce risk, save money, and invest confidently. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro, T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. So let's... Let's move forward here a little bit. That was a really good experience. Um, then we get to the marketing agency. I really like the fact that you left that business. You have a moral, morally 
wrong person you're partnered with. Yeah. Um, they're keeping all this money and paying pennies to uh, a team. To the core labor. Yeah. Yes. Because that, that's the thing about Facebook ads is that there's great profit margins on them for, for your for knowledge sure. and expertise. But when we're bringing in human labor, that's yeah. like, especially when you can see that they're helping our clients mm-hmm. grow in, you know, driving revenue by the tens of thousands, then like, Totally. Yeah. What is happening here? <laughs> so, so this would be uh, learning experience number two. I'm sure there yes. are plenty more with with other partners or managers or lack thereof that mm-hmm. you've been with. So, what did you start doing thereafter after leaving this marketing agency? Well, I thought that I'd run a more slimmed down operation um, of basically just being uh, a marketing consultant or Facebook ads consultant. Sure. For, for two reasons. One that I, I also felt, you know, there's something, and maybe this has to do with a little bit of my own um, icky issues with, with self-esteem and self-concept, but um, sometimes I'm a bit wary of, of a lot of success at once. And so I had all this money that I made from the partnership that I'd just been in, but I felt called to like, I know some things and I've clearly known enough things to about advertising and direct response marketing and, and Facebook ads to, sure. to help grow people's business. But I felt like I could know more and, and felt called to, to, I guess, a higher level of mastery. And so it felt like, okay, that really insane chapter just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly you can make money doing this, but should you innovate your own product before you try to do this again? Sure. Um, so then for um, six months or so, I spent it mostly taking on um, projects sort of as they came organically. And mm-hmm. uh, so my book of business was at the time, some real estate agents and actually attorneys for the most part, just helping them with, uh, it's it's that same sort of formula that I, that I described before about people that are very good at a specific trade, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to grow a business and then, or sure. if you do achieve growth and what you do once you, you are your own bottleneck and then how you can kind of leverage out of certain, certain mm-hmm. situations like that. So, um, as I was doing that and, and committing more and more time to learning marketing, cause I am largely situationally taught. It's been all of my education up until that point had been very, um, here is a problem that a specific situation has figure it out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And so um, thankfully, you know, before I had even started just my very first marketing agency, I would definitely say that I had minimum viable experience in, in just driving traffic to to events and to, um, you know, restaurant and bar launches and um, different growing social media brands for, for these hospitality concepts and, and whatnot. But I was never formally trained very much by, by anybody. And so I felt um, maybe it was a bit of imposter syndrome that, that made me also pause and was like, I just made like my very first six figures and how do I, Sure. should I have done that? Um, but I guess that's the thing about, about money though, is that it's like, it, there's no deserve or, or not. It's, it's, did you solve a problem and did people give you money for it? So that's it. Right. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, um, so I took this pause. Um, focused on learning my craft more, um, mm-hmm. was also doing some internal work as to why that same lesson had repeated twice. And then um, as my sights were set on, on what the next 
um, level of growth would be, I had an uncanny number of clients that I'd helped up to a certain point. Um, and then also a couple referrals that basically told me they were like, well, you know, I think that our marketing systems are pretty much dialed in, but, you know, I know that you can help with some, you know, you've helped with some reputation management stuff in terms of like helping us get reviews, but can you help us get like in the news? And that was something that I had dabbled in with some contacts, um, but hadn't really ever had as a formalized wing of business. And I had reached out to somebody that I had really helped me through some, through some personal dark times, especially with the, with the last agency of, of, you know, how horrified I was morally at what was happening. Um, because I knew that he'd had a background in PR, uh, initially and yeah, essentially to make a long story short, uh, that person helped me consulting wise with some, some, some wins that I was able to get for my clients at the time. And then as I was integrating my lessons from, from the last year, uh, I kind of asked this question of like, you know, I know that you have this successful business serving, you know, uh, remodelers and contractors, but you know, you have this successful podcast brand, you're this young entrepreneur that really loves talking to other entrepreneurs. Like, why don't you just return to, to focusing on PR? Cause it sounds like all of your answers are coming from a place of not betting on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's definitely something to be said about, about solid money that you know that you can make, but I think that there's also very much something to be said about betting on yourself and, and, a, and an important, not to get too woo, but energetic shift that happens when you say, no, I know that I internally have what it takes to achieve mm-hmm. what I want to see in the world. And so, um, yeah, after after some time in that dynamic, we kind of just agreed to, to jointly form um, a new venture together, which is sort of how the, the empathy firm was born. And that was in January, was the first sort of stage of, of ideation. Year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The and first, this, uh, yeah, the partner you're with now, he's the one that kind of helped give you some advice, and then you decided to partner with him. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was it was it was emotional advice at first, and and it was just so repeatedly um, emotionally clear and sound, and and from sure. such a place of of um, clear values. Then um, that was something that I uh, was was just routinely refreshed by every time that mm. I I had this moment of, you know what am I doing? What's the next part of this look like? There was just such this unwavering warmth and support in, and kind of like a subtle inviting of, of me stepping into my best self that was always there, even before there was any kind of, you know, before that sure. was profitable for him to, to support that, uh, that existed. So, um, yeah, first okay. it started as just like a, this sounds like something that we could do to make money together. And then I had to check in with myself and ask like, is this something that I'd be willing to try again? And it is. And and so far it's been great. So. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So you hit on a few points here that I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to is I think a lot of people are more introverted than they, than they would admit. A lot of people like their alone time. And I, I think our society of hiding behind phones and computer screens all day doesn't help that, right? We're not right. out there shaking hands and meeting people. Yeah. So society as a whole, in my opinion, is leaning towards more introverted. I would consider myself like probably a good 50-50. I love being out mm-hmm. there with people, but I also mm-hmm. love my alone time. But Absolutely. How, did, how did you 
in, in circumstances like starting um, these ventures and how did you overcome the psychology and the, the wall of going from an introvert to an extrovert? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think that my answer is, I'm going to start with my personally idiosyncratic answer and I'm going to try and see if I can open it up to be a bit more general. Okay. Um, I think that my idiosyncratic answer is that um, I was a super, super lonely bookish kid. Like I was a very nerdy, lonely child. I grew up really nerdy in like a very rural country town that where that kind of personality was not terrifically rewarded. And so I think I've always just sought kindred spirits, which, mm -hmm. I, which can help, I think, in specifically entrepreneurship because, I mean, entrepreneurship is an incredibly lonely journey, or it can be. Um, but I think when you find kind of people to find alliance in, it feels even more strong, I guess, because, you know, we acknowledge that we're on this funky little journey, you know, together. Um, so how I got over it in general, I think it was, I try to be guided, and I'm very imperfectly so, but I try to be guided by the... Um, this mantra that in the cave you fear is the treasure you seek. And I try to consistently, um, albeit very imperfectly, but I try to consistently get uncomfortable and know sure. that um, often, you know, there's great bounty on the, on the other, on the other side of that. Um, but it's, it's hard to, to, to stay consistently uncomfortable because I mean, the entire entrepreneurial journey is, is you live in a landscape of risk. You're, you're doing things you've never done before. You're, you're increasingly asked to solve more and more complex mm -hmm. problems. Um, there's so many different curveballs that can come. And so I think managing and making sure that your nervous system is, is okay throughout all of it so you don't burn out or you don't just outright quit, I think that's very yep. important. So that's my caveat to the getting consistently uncomfortable thing. Is just make sure that you're okay. Also, at the end of the day, I love that. I could talk about this subject for hours. Me too. People, <laughs> people are afraid to get uncomfortable, but that's where you learn. That's where you grow. Mm -hmm. And there's um, no other way. There's there's it, no getting around that. It, there exactly. Isn't. There there isn't, especially in business as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I I grew up an athlete, and from a young age, you were trained to get extremely uncomfortable to push mm -hmm. your body to limits you didn't think you could go. So that that training at a young age pushed me. It, it just is a discipline thing, right? You get yes. into something that is, yeah. it's uncomfortable. Okay, now let's make it comfortable. How do we transition this, right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes uncomfort can last for years and people fear that. People, yes, I, I see, right? You could probably agree with this. Most people don't push themselves very hard. Mm -hmm. They they feel like an ounce of pain and they just back mm -hmm. off the throttle. They no, just absolutely. Back, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's natural too. I mean, I think that we also live in, in it's odd because I think that we both live in very uncomfortable and yet overly coddling in a sense times. I think that there's a lot to pacify us. I think there's a lot of trash out there to make you feel kind of like this baseline level of like, I guess this is okay. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, like there's, there's just a lot that people are reasonably uncomfortable with, you know, sure. economic landscape, social landscape. There's a lot that sucks out there to be sure. Um, but I think that at least for me, one of the mindset shifts was like, 
if I'm going to be uncomfortable anyway, if things are going to suck anyway, how do I transmute this into a way where at least the things that I agree to engage in that suck are eventually going to pay off for me specifically and how I want to show up in the world. That was, I think the biggest thing was just like, we have this one life, we have this finite amount of time and energy. You're going to feel pain and mourning and Mm-hmm. discomfort anyway there's that's non-negotiable even even in your comfort zone you will still feel that you will still be disappointed you will still be surprised yeah. things that you don't want to happen will happen and so how do you reorient yourself to just accept that you're doing that in a way that will produce a version of yourself that you're proud of in the world right i i look at it as it it is an opportunity to learn and then there's a great feeling when you can break through Yes. Like whatever it is you are yes. going through and you break through, like yes. just hang on yes. um, mm-hmm. and, and you can, you can make it through. You can survive this. And we've all been there, whether it's a relationship or a job you're at, it's like, this is mm-hmm. not going to sustain forever. And you control that. Um, learn what the pain is right now, but create a plan, create a strategy, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely that. Absolutely that. And um, oh, I had a point that I was gonna gonna piggyback off of that, but then Sorry, I probably no, probably that's stole okay. it right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, is there anything else you'd like to share on on business here, or, or more or less on psychology before we jump into the rapid fire rounds? Any advice you'd give to any of the listeners if they're wanting to start a business? I think actually this was my piggybacking point, which is just that develop an attitude of of fortitude and commitment because. Yes. If you just stay the course, I swear to you, it will happen. It may not happen as fast as, you know, um, you may see certain other people appear to be overnight successes. You may see other people who, quote unquote, make it faster than you do. But Mm -hmm. if you just stay committed and you maintain your self-awareness through your journey and that you are always trying However imperfectly, but consistently to be better, you will arrive to where you want to go. Totally. You will. And, you know, there's going to be tons of discomfort on the, on the road to get there. But I mean, the, the, the bounty on the other side of it is immense. Right. Right. Good advice. Thanks. (laughs) Well, let's get to the part of the episode here where we get to find out who catch really is. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did for a lot of this, but <laughs> we, we did, we, we went a level past business and got to the personal yeah, psychology, which was, yeah, which was I think great. that's very me though. That's like, that's unavoidably, there's this saying you, you are what you can't stop doing. I cannot. And, and that's just something that I've just had to negotiate in, in, mm-hmm. in my journey in business and in life is that, um, I can't help but suffuse things with, a, it, with deeply personal touches and right. Yeah. Even in just talking about business stuff. So, but that's fine though. And then, you know, that's just me. It's just me in the world. And so, (laughs) so um, let's, let's go a step further here. We're going to ask some fun questions here. Mm -hmm. If you could try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less, these are, these are rapid fire. So here we go. Oh boy. What is your favorite podcast? This is, I, I always feel like such an imposter whenever this gets asked because I scarcely listen to them. Um, but Truthfully, I would say rapid fire, Brene Brown. Um, I am actually also a huge fan of, of my co-founders podcast, which is Future Millionaires. Um, and I listen to a lot of Tom Bilyeu and David Meltzer. Okay, cool. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? 
Oh, wow. Um, this one's such an entrepreneur answer. Uh, the slight edge is, has, has been one of those things where it's like, everybody tells you to read it. And then I finally did read it and the whole principle about compounding interest as the eighth wonder of the world. Really. I mean, that's been game changing for, for like integrating that really. Yeah. Talking my language. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is your favorite movie? Oh, golly. Um, immediate knee jerk reaction. There's so many, but knee jerk reaction is, um, master and commander. Really? Okay. I love it. It's such a, it's such a great warfare at sea. Yeah. It's so, it's so heartwarming. It's really a tale about brotherly love though. Camaraderie showing up for, for everyone else around you, even when you're besieged by problems. Yes. Yes. Uh, Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm, Correct. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next question here. What is your favorite food? Oh, wow. Um, that's Oh, it's a tie between oddly French fries and pho, um, but broadly Southeast Asian cuisine, just in general, just could eat anything like nice. anything forever, yeah. every day. <laughs> <laughs> you would survive off that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How many hours do you work per week? Ooh, I think the smarter question would be how many hours do I effectively work per week? But I honestly, <laughs> for, for this, for this time period in my life, this is really all that I do. So you know, 10 hours a day or so. But I think that probably the actual true needle moving hours that I'm effective for day are honestly probably between four and six. And I spend a lot of it, the other mm. hours, like in kind of a more busyness state. Yeah. Foggy. Yeah. yeah. And it's not ideal. Mm. Um, but step away from it. the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> another, another topic of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question here. How many hours do you sleep each night? That could also be better. Um, my co-founder wants me to get an aura ring and I refuse. Um, it's between it's between three and six. Oh yeah. boy. I mm. know. I have but I'm a I've been a bad sleeper my whole life. I I I've I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I credit I credit the ADD. <laughs> cat, you gotta dial that up. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right. This is another health re- related question. Uh, what is your workout regimen? Um I Thankfully, I think because of the ADD in part, I do take 30 to one 30 minute to one hour long walks every day. And then nice. in the mornings, in the mornings, I do some stretching and yoga, but nothing particularly um, pushing when I feel like this is very inconsistent. Um, I, I use a rowing machine sometimes, but okay. in general, my conscious effort to exercise could definitely be better, but you can only optimize so many things at once. So we got to work on that sleep thing first. Yeah, that's also that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Last question here is if you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that I would probably go back to I think 10 or so. Um, mm-hmm. An age where I was still in the midst of some some rather uh, dark family and and. and you know, I hate to use the T word, but trauma moments and, Mm -hmm. um, but, but still young enough for it to be formative that just bet on yourself. And I promise you'll get everything that you want. And yeah, just, I wish that I'd known from an earlier age that if I had trust trusted entirely on my own capability to figure things out and make things happen, that I would probably be in a much more economically leveraged and happy. I mean, I, I, I feel pretty good right now, but I could have had these these things happen sure. sooner, faster, larger. If I had just, you know, thought that trusted that at a younger mm-hmm. age. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. I'll turn it over to you. Where can the audience reach you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can be found on Instagram at Kat Meningo, K-A-T period M-A-N-I-N-G-O. Um, and then we recently just launched our new website. Uh, the uh, It's at empathyfirm.com. And then um, I'm also pretty easily found on Facebook and LinkedIn, Kat Meningo, K-A-T-M-A-N-I-N-G-O on either of those platforms. Yeah. Got it. Absolutely. That's great. Awesome, Kat. Well, this was very educational. Thanks for the dive into psychology and we'll definitely have you on again. It is always a pleasure, Sean. You are just a gem of a human and I'm really glad to be on here. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Don't be wasting any time. I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind. Yeah, you know me. All the crowd will be mine. You can call me king. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know you're Time is valuable, and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to, so thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya. Don't be wasting any time. I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind. Yeah, you know me. All the crowd will be mine. You can call me king. A matter of time for you all love me. Find me at my prime right where I want to be. I'm one of a kind. There ain't no one like me. <laughs>